This is a CBC podcast. Yeah, like you're just sitting at home, like pining for a partner, and it's yeah. like, no, I'm getting like a whole PhD, and like that really takes priority right now. Yeah. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Tahara Faruzin. And this is Edmonton, a local podcast from CBC News. Tahara works with me here in the newsroom. Welcome to the podcast. This week is Valentine's Day, which brings up all sorts of feelings for people. What does it bring up for you? (laughs) I've always hated Valentine's Day. Always. That sigh was perfect. Okay, but you are, so you're married. So what does Valentine's Day look like then? We don't do anything. Because it's a dumb holiday. (laughs) I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. But it just, like, it always made me feel bad. Mm, Yeah. And then it's like, it's very, you know, you have to go out and buy something and show all this stuff. And it's a lot of, like, consumer, like, I don't like that side of it. Yeah, yeah. What I do love, though, is the day after Valentine's Day, when all the candy goes on sale, that's like... The only part of it that I that I support. That is the most you thing I've ever heard. Is yeah. like, I like this holiday because the candy's cheaper the day after. Yeah. What about you, though? Um, I, I don't know. I'm So my partner and I, uh, the only real Valentine's Day I remember being like, oh, my gosh, this is great, was when he got me a dozen frozen corn dogs and put them into a bouquet. That is beautiful. Um, and it was really nice. And I think that's because you're right. Like, there is so much. I've been walking through shoppers um crazy amounts of stuffed animals and weird little mugs with funny sayings that will get thrown out immediately. Uh, So, yeah, I don't know. I'm very, I like stuff. I like chocolate. I like love. This is the thing is like, if you're really into it, if you want somebody to show you their affection in that way, then that's wonderful. Yes. That's great. Like, I'm not against that. But you can be more creative than a fried chicken and waffle stuffed creature from Shopper's Drug Mart, in my opinion. Yeah, but like a bouquet of corn dogs. <laughs> it was pretty good. That's That brings a single tear to my eye. That's so, that's so sweet. So part of the reason why you're here is because this episode, we are going to dig into a relationship status that often gets overlooked and, and kind of underappreciated. And that, of course, is being single. I get a lot of surprise, which I don't know to be like flattered or offended by sometimes. (laughs) More so due to uh, my age, just because there's like fewer of us in our late 30s that like haven't, you know, settled down, gotten married. Yeah, a lot of people are puzzled. And I think that's because I would call myself an introvert, but I don't know that I'm necessarily perceived in that way. Oh, you're still single. Like, that's interesting. Or like, oh, are you like divorced or something? And it's like, no, I just... (laughs) You know, that's just sort of how it's gone, so. That's two Edmontonians, Ashley Hillman and Magda Malatu. They're both single, which, let's face it, is an experience we've all had in our lives. And I couldn't help myself. I wanted to know actually how many people might be single in Edmonton right now. Um, Because we are a city where it's pretty young. The average age sits just under 40 years old. And approximately 32% of people are single. And when it comes to living situations, a third of households are actually just one person. That sounds pretty sweet. (laughs) (laughs) I myself was a single Pringle living in a pretty sweet solo living situation for a while. Um, But that also included being single through the pandemic. Yeah. Which I think was a super challenging time, probably the hardest time for me being a single person. There was that whole bubble conversation. Right, right. And then so did you have people that you could 
hang out with? <laughs> I was a third. I was a professional third wheel. Oh, no. Which is, <laughs> I love my friends. It's two of them who I partnered with for a while. And it was great. But it it does kind of bring to light those things, right? So there were certainly times that I loved being single, mm-hmm. not the least of which being having my own space and room and house. Yes. Um, but it was also kind of hard and complicated at times. When I was single through much of my late 20s, I really, really loved it. I really enjoyed it. I had, you know, my own apartment in downtown Calgary. I did my thing. And I just loved doing whatever I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. You know, if I wanted to fly to Vancouver for the weekend to visit my friends or just like make any type of decision myself or just be like totally gross on the couch. Like I didn't (laughs) have to do like I didn't have to explain myself to anybody. Yeah. And I, you know, did mourn those years because they were so important to me. And I did, yeah, I did really love them. Yeah. You made it sound so glamorous with Vancouver. And then I'm really glad you evened it out with being gross on the couch. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to be, like, honest here, right? But those years were really important for me. There was a lot of change that was happening in my life, as most people do through their 20s. And... You know, I really wanted to build stronger relationships with friends, make new friends. And those friends that I made during that time, I still have now. And they're essentially family to me. And I just really wanted to build community around me. And like mentally, physically, everything, it helped me so much to have that first before venturing off and trying to meet somebody romantically like it just wasn't a priority at the time but those friendships really were and they really got me through and like I'm just so happy that I had that and I had those memories and I had that time because we often don't value platonic relationships the same way or at least there's a weird hierarchy you know you think of like oh there's this romantic relationship in my life that is the peak if Mm -hmm. you happen to believe in, in monogamous relationships and then beyond that you know it's like oh well then there's like my best friend and like my other best friend and you know, and it goes down, but it doesn't have to go down. It doesn't have to. And I did find that very frustrating during that time because my family, of course, like I come from an immigrant family. They're like, <laughs> when are you getting married? When are you having children? And they were always worried about me. And it really annoyed me because I was like, here's my life. Everything's going great. I'm actually really happy. Yeah. Things are going well. Like be like celebrate me here. And I actually found it even more annoying when I did meet somebody because then they were like, oh, finally, you're happy. Finally, you have this. And I'm like, I had it the whole time. (laughs) You're like, I was so happy on that couch. You have no idea. You have no idea. Me being gross on the couch (laughs) was like peak Tara. And I I love that girl, you know, and I just I really I really didn't appreciate how people treated me during that time and afterward. It is it's it is hard. And you wanted to dig a little bit deeper into this for us because it is something that you feel very deeply and I think a lot of us connect with. Uh, So did you find someone who actually like knows what the heck is going on? Yeah, it turns out like these ideals have been around in the Western world for a really, really long time. Historically, at least since the turn of the 20th century, for a lot of reasons, there was a lot of pressure on folks in Western society in North America to couple up, to have children, um, couple up, I should say, in heterosexual relationships, have children, um, contribute new citizens to the population, which were needed for building the nation, etc. So a lot of our current beliefs, even if that's not, 
at the forefront of most people's minds are really rooted in how this place we now call Canada came to be and some of the beliefs and norms around that. Dayanara Exner-Cortens is an associate professor in psychology at the University of Calgary, researching the importance on fostering healthy relationships. She says reframing where these ideas come from can help you relax. I think treating those ideas as ideas that um, are part of a colonial narrative that can be decolonized and that singlehood and other ways of being in the world, other family structures um, can be reclaimed as equally valid and valuable. Are these pressures about being single and finding somebody and having this stereotypical life, is that heavier for women and why is it so much heavier or do you think that it isn't? It's such a good question. I think we don't know because for so long men, I mean, and still in many places, men weren't given permission to talk about their desires for a family, for children. From the time we're very, very little, you know, girls are encouraged to play house. Like, it's just assumed that all women want children, which is totally not true, um, and that men don't really care, which is also totally not true. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think both, well, all genders experience pressure, certainly for uh, folks with uteruses and ovaries, like there is um, maybe more um, of a feeling of biological pressure, although, again, a lot of that I think is uh, put on to those people. Uh, Like we don't talk a lot about fertility preservation or other ways to make a family. It's just this assumption, like you've got to find this guy if you want to have kids. And I mean, that is also not true. So I think there's just a lot there to really critically think about. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can't, yeah, I think we don't know because we haven't really asked. How important are non-romantic relationships and has that changed over time? Very important. (laughs) So having multiple healthy relationships in your life is a really good thing. The more, the better. Um, Now, different people want different things. Some people are really happy with one really high quality friendship. Other people, you know, like to have lots of friendships and other non-romantic relationships. But again, having that belonging, feeling tied to a community or group that they have your back, that they're there to support you is super important to well-being. You know, a lot of the research I don't think has focused so much on um, what non-romantic relationships do for well-being into adulthood. We focus a lot in kids and youth, and then the same assumptions that guide what we do in society guide research. So I think there was an assumption in the literature that, well, you know, when you're in your adulthood, it's your partner, your romantic partner. That's who we need to look at relationship quality with. But Um, The research that does exist and just what we know about belonging needs across the lifespan absolutely says how important it is to have um, relationships with people um, in addition to or to the exclusion of a romantic partner and that you can get along of a lot of those belonging needs met through other relationships. So what does it mean or look like to build a life as a single adult in Edmonton? For their experiences, we spoke to Ashley and Magda. Magda is a digital fellow at The Walrus, and Ashley is a PhD candidate at the U of A studying environmental science, something that plays a big role in how and where she spends her time. Because I'm very outdoorsy and I like to spend a lot of time outside, um, I just go down to the River Valley a lot and... Um, I go out with friends a lot to different areas in the city that are good to like look at birds or uh, go for a nice bike ride or something. So I spend a lot of time in like Whitewood Ravine 
to a bigger dog park, those sorts of places, just to sort of um, get out, reconnect with those parts of the city that kind of fulfill that outdoor need. I feel like that's a really common one that I hear. This is maybe my incentive to get outside. <laughs> <laughs> We're not trying to drag you outside, Magda. <laughs> uh, no, it'd be good for me. I think what kind of immediately came to mind for me are kind of some of the community um, spaces that I've been in. Like I think about some of the orgs that I volunteered with that have put on like mixers or like conversation cafes or hosted parties. Like those are spaces where I feel, you know, really comfortable, um, really like the most myself. And also mm-hmm. where I think there are opportunities to push myself if I want to. And what is it about those specific spaces that make you feel comfortable? First and foremost, it's nice to just go to a place where you're bonded with everyone else in the room by a common interest. Like Mm -hmm. at the very least, you know, like if you end up coming to an event alone or like stuck in a corner with folks that you don't know, there's going to be one really easy topic that you can reach for and start a conversation around, right? And then beyond that, I think there's a certain intentionality to how these kinds of spaces are curated in terms of the uh, organizational side of things. Mm. Um, You know, there's like certain kinds of music playing sometimes. There's like art on the walls. There's a really like comforting atmosphere. People to greet you at the door. People to kind of put you in groups if you don't have anyone to sit with. Like all of that is, yeah, really, really lovely. Everybody has their, you know, core community, the people that they go to um, that are really in their corner um, how would you describe yours? How would you describe your people? I think having been in this sort of community of, you know, outdoor enthusiasts, people who are interested in conservation and environmental um, concerns and, and sort of mo- the environmental movement has, because I've been in that field for a long time, I think that's really shaped the community that I spend time with. And, you know, sometimes it's maybe a little too easy to hang out with people who are very like-minded to you. But I think that... Mm sharing people with or sharing these uh, experiences with people who are of similar interests or similar lifestyle to you, similar life choices, I think has been really supportive to sort of be able to have these conversations about what your values are and what your priorities are and, and how that maybe doesn't always align with what society expects. Mm. Yeah, what yeah about you? that's a really good point. Yeah, I think speaking kind of more broadly, I guess, I... I've really been making a concerted effort to try and cultivate community with folks that recognize the importance of not living on an island or not living in a silo Mm -hmm. and, you know, just trying to be intentional about the fact that, like, you know, not everyone needs to be, like, my best friend or, like, stick around in my life forever, but every interaction is valuable. I really have tried to seek out connections and relationships where, you know, that feels like a mutual sensibility that we share. I want to talk about like how those connections have changed your life, how that community building has changed your life. Yeah, it's funny. I, (laughs) I'm at an age now where like, now that I've, you know, finished my undergrad and I'm working, you know, my mom had kind of like, giving me a break on like the dating thing it like wasn't a priority lucky (laughs) yeah now she's like well 
what's what's happening (laughs) and uh, the conversation that I always have with her is like I will get there and the reason why I'm not um, impatient about it or like trying to force anything is because I feel like I'm in a place where the connections I do have are very well-rounded like whatever kind of part of me um, needs to be fed I have like different types of relationships that can you know serve that purpose, which mm-hmm. is great. Um, does she always understand? Not necessarily, but, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and then in terms of, like, the impact that these, you know, connections and relationships have had on me and on my life, I think, like, I used to tell people that I would be perfectly happy, like, being by myself. Like, I could do it. I'm not a person like you, actually. Like, I feel like, very comfortable in my own company. It doesn't really bother me to be on my own. Um, but I think, you know, putting in the effort and taking the time to really be careful and considerate about cultivating these connections has made me realize that like, yes, you could, you know, do it by yourself and you would be fine. Um, but I want to strive for better than fine, you know, and kind of making space for the fact that this is like an explicitly named want or a desire um is something new and that's like a direct result i think of um yeah having all of these different kinds of people um in my life being able to insert myself into all of these different kinds of spaces so that i think is like really powerful just to have the language for that to name that to own that because you know that will impact the way that i make decisions moving forward i would kind of agree with that and i think traditionally um at least in Western cultures or what, you know, during the time when I grew up, it was sort of this like fairy tale idea that you have this like one soulmate and you meet this one person and they like fulfill all of your emotional needs and like you have everything in common. And I think that's just not realistic to how like good relationships really go. And like, I think having one person where you're seeking all of your fulfillment from, it's it's just, it's not really a healthy way to move forward. And it's, I don't know, I don't, I think it's like, not great to put that on another person. So having these existing communities and networks of like-minded friends and and other and family and other support networks that can fulfill like the variety of your needs, I think makes it a little bit better moving forward into a relationship where you're like, okay, I'm already fulfilled, but now I want somebody who sort of complements my life and can fit into that without me having to like fully rely on them for everything. I want to go back just a little bit because I found your reaction so funny when uh, when Magda, when you mentioned your mom. And I just want to talk about how uncomfortable family can be sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I am the oldest daughter of two daughters in my family born to Ethiopian immigrants. So <laughs> I think anybody who was raised in any kind of immigrant household knows that like, for the most part, immigrant parents tend to be very focused on education. You know, they want mm-hmm. you to get through school. They want you to land that good job, that stable job. And then, you know, everything else will kind of fall into place from there. But yeah, I don't know what it is. I think like as soon as I graduated, there was just this switch where it was <laughs> like, well, like <laughs> not necessarily TikTok, but just like, what are you doing? Like we need to put a plan in place. We need to get some activity going, you know. Um, it makes me laugh for the most part, um, cause I think 
I think if it was uh, a really sincere, like dedicated pressure, I would know and feel it. <laughs> I think right now it's uh, mostly in jest. But um, yeah, I felt really lucky. Like I, I don't have um, any kind of like constraints on me mm-hmm. um, in terms of like what kinds of relationships I choose to pursue and with whom. Um, and there's always been like a very open line of communication there which is nice and something that I don't take for granted. But um, yeah, I think, you know, I have these conversations with both of my parents, but mostly my mom um, about the differences, you know, in like the dating landscape in 2023 versus when she was dating. (laughs) I don't think there's really any formulation of words that I can use that will really get the point across in the way that I hope. So yeah, I mean, it's... uh, mostly just one of those things that creates a lot of situational comedy so far. But, you know, I listen to what they have to say and then I push back when I have to, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's give and take. Just let her scroll through Tinder for like five minutes. And she, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Similar to you. Like I never really faced that pressure from my family. They were all always very focused on education, very focused on like, live your life for you and you know things will fall into place if you want them like never been any pressure like when am I getting grandkids when is that happening and um I I think that's not always the case and I think I'm really lucky to have not have faced that pressure. Do you find it harder in the winter months here to maintain those amazing relationships that you have made or do you find it a bit easier? Yeah I would say definitely harder for the most part. Um, this is actually when I think I try and push myself to get outside more Mm. because, you know, I know that ultimately the weather is going to do what the weather does in Edmonton. (laughs) Like you kind of just have to work around it. And so, you know, taking advantage of like a winter patio or like an outdoor skating rink, like, I think that's really important building those activities in to actually be able to see your friends, see your family, go on dates, all that kind of stuff. Like, I think you have to make friends with the winter. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, you really will not see anybody. Uh, Yeah, I, a few years ago, was like, okay, you live in this winter city, like, find a winter activity to do. Otherwise, you will be just, like, a shut-in in front of the fireplace which, with a book, which is, you know, also fantastic. Uh, but yeah, so I took up cross-country skiing a few years ago, and that's, I think, at least gets me out of the house. And actually, Edmonton has a really big cross-country ski community, really great trails all around the city. And so I think that's, like, a nice way to meet up with friends who want to do that and just, like, interact with other people and get out and enjoy the brisk, fresh air. <laughs> Oh, well, we've covered everything. We've covered the River Valley, the cross-country skiing, <laughs> all the good things. Edmonton this is just like offer. an Edmonton tourism. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a slightly veiled ad. I do want to talk about making this episode. We did find that a lot of people were wary about talking about being singles and sharing the side of yourself. And I thank you so much for being so open with me. Um but why do you think this topic is so uncomfortable to talk about for some? I think there's still just a lot of, I don't know, stigma and societal pressure, particularly on women, I think, because there's always that sort of component of like, well, you need to have kids before a certain age. So, um, you know, get out there, basically. And 
yeah, I think as somebody who's never really faced those pressures and has had the lifestyle that I have, I think it's nice to share your story and just say to people, like, if you're not going that traditional route, like you're not alone. And there's a group of us out here who are supportive of whatever decision you want to make and, you know, have kids, don't have kids, get married, don't get married. Like, it's okay. And I think just like piggybacking off of that, like we've referenced these like societal pressures or like, you know, kind of social constraints at different points throughout this conversation in a very general way. But like those benchmarks were created with a very particular kind of person in mind, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of the way that that person looks, how they move through the world, what kind of access they have. And it's wild that like those are still the metrics that we use today uh, when that just isn't like the standard of anything, really, you know, for racialized folks or for queer folks or, you know, just anybody that kind of identifies differently or comes from a different background than what is like, quote unquote, the norm or fits into like conventional standards of beauty. Like all of those people experience these milestones so much later in their lives and they feel weird about it. Right. Mm. But you just have to kind of remember that like these milestones were not kind of pushed with you in mind, right? And so I think being able to make space for that and to kind of create a little bit more nuance around this conversation is really, really important. What do you think is the most misunderstood part about about your single life? I think this that you can't be happy and fulfilled as a single person. Like I think being single, I think really pushes you to learn a lot about yourself and to be happy doing things in your own company, um, learning how to do things by yourself, how to fix things by yourself, how to, you know, get out and meet new friend groups on your own. And I, I don't know, I think it can be very, very fulfilling. Yeah, I think just like the the assumption that like I'm itching to like take myself out of the state or like <laughs> that I am like putting up a pretense, you know, when talking about like, how comfortable I am as a single person. It just doesn't bother me the way that I think people want it to. Um, Because by and large, it's like not a thought that even crosses my mind. Like on a day-to-day basis, there are so many other things that I'm thinking of before I think about the fact that I'm not in a relationship. Yeah, like you're just sitting at home, like pining for a partner. And it's like, (laughs) no, I'm getting like a whole PhD. And like, that really takes priority right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is Edmonton is a local podcast from CBC. And our team this week is Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, Tahereh Faruzin, and I'm Claire Bonneman. Thank you so much for listening. This is Edmonton is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional gathering place of the Cree, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, and Nakota Sioux. Leave us a rating or review wherever you download the show, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.